0: Our reading this morning is from Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 26. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us? as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead to this we are witnesses and his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all and now brothers i know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness
1: Well, good morning, Trini. say it's, uh, it's a privilege to be back. Grateful to be here uh, two weeks in a row. I was a little concerned. Maybe I wouldn't be. Welcome back, but you guys are very gracious, it's a privilege to be here. Well, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your graciousness, your mercy, and your kindness to your people. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning through the power of your word and the work of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the, the internet has increasingly become a place of division. Uh, it's this veritable arena of us versus them. And if you have an opinion, the likelihood of being able to find someone somewhere who disagrees is obviously astronomical. However, there is this one little corner of the internet that universally unites people. Every, uh, every stripe imaginable finds a commonality here. And I'm sure we can all agree that there is no one that doesn't enjoy a good funny cat video. Certainly this is where all of humanity unites. My wife and I once uh, missed out on our YouTube glory when we experienced a, a sort of a classic cat video moment that sadly uh, we didn't record. We were lounging in our, our hot tub, enjoying the evening and conversation when suddenly our cat got rather curious as to what was in this tub. It usually had a top on it, but now it didn't. So what could possibly be in there? And so she decided, our kitty, decided to leap into the middle of the hot tub, dunking her entire body in the bubbling hot water only to shriek and scramble and freak out and as quickly as she came in, sprinted out of the yard and out of, out of the fence. And my wife and I, we were just like doubled over, couldn't stop laughing at our cat who, who had uh, decided then was a good time to discover this you know, 101 degree water or whatever. And our cat didn't, didn't return until the morning <laughs> and she was mercifully dry as if to say, hey, nothing ever happened. We'll never speak of this ever again. But uh, the reason I think cat videos are just so engaging is because cats are so curious, right? They, they want to understand, they want to know what's happening and how things are happening and what's going on. And, you know, we, there's a, even the saying, right, curiosity killed the cat. And cats can't help but gravitate towards new and mysterious. And I think the truth is that we humans aren't, aren't much different in a lot of ways. That uh, we gravitate towards that which is intriguing, that which is uh, curious, uh, that which is novel, that which is interesting. In our story here this morning, there's a crowd that's drawn to the miraculous, but it doesn't kill them. Uh, instead, the cat, the, the, this crowd realizes that they are indeed the actual killers themselves and not their curiosity. And the story follows the healing of a lame man who couldn't walk. And Peter preaches a sermon to those who gathered around. So last week, if you were here last week, uh, we, we were at the conclusion of, a, of a, the Apostle Peter's first sermon in the book of Acts where 3,000 people come to faith and we see the, the, you know, the New Testament church sort of explode onto the scene. And now here in this next chapter in chapter 3 we, we're actually going to look at Peter's second sermon. And, uh, and in it we, we see these three main ideas emerge. And so here are kind of our three points and three ideas of his sermon that we're going to look at. Uh, the first that is, is the one that healed the lame man was Jesus the Messiah. And, and the second is the one who healed this lame man is the one that they had actually sinned against. And the third is that the one who healed this lame man is the one who offers healing to them and offers healing to us as well. So... Uh, you could sort of envision this crowd is beginning to gather. Peter and John, at this point, have made their way to what's called the Portico of Solomon. It was this, uh, like a large awning with, with kind of those Roman columns, those big pillars that held it up, and it was a place of commerce, it was a place of conversation, it was a place of gathering. And they've made their way there, and there's this lame man who's sort of clinging to them in gratitude. And this crowd emerges, and the text says they ran together full of amazement. They came to see this, this now walking man, this man who had been lame since birth and who is now not only walking, the text tells us he's leaping, and, and they're amazed, and they're staring at Peter in, shock, in, in sort of shock, and Peter says to them, men of Israel, why are you so amazed at this? Why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we made this man walk? And so Peter, his opening line to this group of people is, we didn't do this. What, what you're looking at is not a work of our power, our, our piety. It's not a work of our hands. And he says in verses 13 and 16, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. And then the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus, which has strengthened this man that you see and know, and faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. So it was faith in Jesus that healed this man, not any power of Peter and John. And so it's like Peter's like, look, I I can't take credit for this, I can't take responsibility for this. And he takes a moment to actually take their eyes off the miracle itself to look at the the actual miracle worker. The power of the healing was in Jesus. Well, why was it in Jesus? How was it in Jesus? Jesus wasn't standing there that moment, was he? How does Jesus have such power? And that's the question that you would anticipate them asking, and that's the one that actually Peter addresses. How does Jesus have this power, and how does it come through him? Well, twice in our text, Peter calls Jesus the Christ. And the Christ is a word that simply means the the Messiah, the anointed one, so when Jesus says, uh, is called Jesus Christ, that's, that's a title, not like a last name, right? It wasn't like Jesus Christ uh, as a last name. That's a title. It's telling us that he is the Messiah, the one that God had planned to bring healing through, uh, to, to, to bring his healing power to the world from ages past. He is the one that would cure the curse that corrupts the world we live in. And so Peter says that Messiah was promised to bring this. That one has come. So, verse 22 Moses said, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Moses spoke of a greater prophet, one that we should obey completely. And not to obey means our destruction. And not just Moses, though, the text also says, and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. So, in other words, uh, Samuel, who was the next major prophet after Moses, chronologically, every prophet of God Since Moses has predicted a time when the anointed one would come and he would inaugurate, he would welcome in the kingdom of God, and heaven and earth would begin to join. And what we see here is God's fulfillment of this promise, that the Messiah has come. The inbreaking of heaven to earth has begun. So Peter helps them take their eyes off of of what is sort of immediately before them and see the big picture. What they saw in the miracle of the layman was this picture of the inbreaking of God's healing presence, which all his people will know in glory. The healing was this small little snapshot of what is to come for all who are gods and who trust in Christ. It's faith in Jesus that healed the man then, and it's faith in Jesus that heals today. One one question that is often asked of texts like this, this one and others like it. When we see miracles in Scripture, we ask the question, does God still heal like this Today, sometimes God still heals like he did the layman, miraculous ways. No doubt there are medical healings that take place that have no scientific explanation. And it seems that God simply reverses the curse and heals. But sometimes we know that God allows suffering in this world. And we don't experience the inbreaking of heaven in this sort of miraculous way. But we endure the sort of residual effects of living in a sinful and broken world that longs to be restored. And it's this reality that one day God will make all things right that is the great hope of Christians. Tempor- temporary healing, well, you know, it is a, a picture of God's healing power, isn't the ultimate picture. Because it's, what, it's, it's temporary. You know, this lame man uh, would eventually die physically, wouldn't he? He was miraculously healed and, and in that moment, but he, his time on earth would come to an end. That healing was for a short period. His legs would get weak again, right? And one day he would pass away and he would be with the Lord. So which healing would be better? His temporary healing on earth or his eternal healing with Christ? My father-in-law passed away uh, a number of years ago from a rare form of cancer. Um, My wife still remembers when the the elders of their church followed the instruction of James chapter 5, which says, If anyone is sick, let him call for the elders and let them pray for him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Her father passed away. He was not healed from his cancer in that moment. Was the Bible wrong? Uh, Does God not heal? Uh, Did the elders of his church, who came and laid hands on him and who anointed him with oil, did they do something wrong? Did they not have enough faith? Did they use the wrong kind of oil? Was it supposed to be, you know, olive and they used avocado? I mean, what? What went wrong? The reality is, God did heal. And the prayer of faith did save him, like the text says. And the Lord did raise him up, like the text says. It just didn't happen in that moment. Tim's faith means he is with King Jesus right now. With no more pain, no more cancer, no more suffering. The sick was saved, and the Lord will raise him up on that last day. Sometimes God breaks in and he heals temporarily here on earth. With the hope of faith in Jesus is a greater healing, a permanent healing, a healing of our body and souls for all of eternity. So when we think of healing, the the question is not so much will God heal? But I think a better question is, when will God heal? The lame man receives two healings. One was temporary, the healing of his legs, but one was eternal, his body and soul forever in the presence of God with no more pain, sorrow and suffering. And so we get a small picture in the healing, the temporary healing of the man, of the greater picture of a greater healing. What suffering on earth are we experiencing that might cause us to question God's goodness when all along he is planning a place of eternal joy in his presence forever? Miracles are small snapshots of the reality of heaven with Christ. It's obviously not wrong to pray for miracles. Uh, We see that all the time in Scripture, and I think that is a very appropriate prayer. But we always need to pray remembering that there is a greater miracle, the miracle of healing of body and soul forever. So uh, we trust in Christ, knowing that even if God does not heal here and now, he will heal all pain, suffering, and sorrow one day when we're with him forever. Jesus, the Messiah, is our healer. Well, they learned that in that moment, but they learned something else as well in Peter's sermon, and that is that the very healer who healed this man is the one that they had sinned against. Verses 13 through 16 say, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus And the faith that has sued Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Well, the crowd in their excitement, you could sort of imagine maybe murmurs in the crowd. You know, uh, how do you do it? Uh, what's it like to walk for the first time as an adult, right? To sort of relearn how to walk, although in the text, we don't really see relearning. He just sort of leaps. You know, does he have, like, normal leg strength? Does he have, like, superhuman strength in his legs now? Like, what did God do? You can sort of imagine the conversations, but but Peter doesn't explain the miracle, does he? And and, and Peter uh, doesn't ask the man to give a testimony about his new ability to walk, does he? Well, Peter turns to the crowd, and he explains that the very one who healed this man, that they're all amazed by, is the man that they themselves have murdered. And Peter sort of sets out this lawyer-like case. He gives sort of these five points. He says, you've handed Jesus over to the Roman authorities. You've disowned him in the presence of the Roman authority, Pontius Pilate. Uh, You've disowned the Holy One, the Righteous One. You requested the release of someone who takes Who takes life, that's Barabbas, in exchange for Jesus who himself is the very author of life. And then finally he says, you actually had the author of life killed. So you can imagine the kind of uh, energy and the the vibe of the crowd, (laughs) my shift a little in that moment, right? Uh, They show up expecting to hear about the miracle, how did it all happen? Uh, and what do they get instead? They get you handed him over to Roman authorities. You disowned him. Uh, You traded him for a murderer and an insurrectionist, and then you hung him on the cross. That man that you are excited about to learn who healed, you killed that very man. The very Messiah that God sent into the world to heal it. Is the one whose life they ended. And so Peter uh, describes Jesus in our text with these beautiful titles. He gives them these four titles. He calls him uh, God's glorified servant. In verse 13, he calls him the holy one. In verse 14, he calls him uh, the righteous one. In verse 15, and he calls him the author of life. All of these titles, all of these images are our Old Testament uh, realities that image God. They're all titles of God, that God is perfectly holy, that God is perfectly righteous, that God is the very author of life. They're all titles of God that Peter says, this is who Jesus is. Genesis 1.1 in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Maybe one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. Who is it that created the heavens and the earth? Well, it's God. But, but who is it according to Peter in Acts 3.15, the author of life? It's Jesus. You know, trees exist because Jesus says so. Uh, fish exist because Jesus says said so, birds fly because Jesus says so, and cows go moo because Jesus says so, and the weird platypus exists because Jesus said so, and this man was healed that day because Jesus said so, And, and you and I sit here breathing in this room today, not by our own power, but because the author of life made us, sustains us, it's because Jesus said so. And Peter says to the crowd, this is the one that you've handed over. This is the one that you've disowned. This is the one that you traded for one who takes life. And then you took his life. Curiosity did not kill the cat in this case. But the cat found out it was a killer itself. Here's the reality. They are not alone in the implications Uh, of implicating the death of Jesus, that we are too. Now, obviously, you and I weren't there when they drove the nails through Jesus' hands. And obviously, you and I weren't there yelling, crucify him, like this crowd was. And that's true. But how often do you and I reject Jesus? Uh, How often have we rejected the wise counsel of God in his word? Which is functionally telling God, uh, I don't need you. I know what's best. I've got it handled. I've got it figured out. I know, God, you say, I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do this. And I know you say, I should do this, and I'm going to do this. How often have we disowned Jesus? Maybe sought to separate ourselves from him, not wanting others Uh, to know that we actually associate with Jesus um, in, in a world becoming increasingly openly hostile to faith. How much are we disowning him, not wanting to associate with Jesus? The point is, we weren't there that day crucifying him, that's true. But in many ways, we are implicated as well. We are traitors to God. Rebels who seek our own paths and who reject God and his wisdom... And who seek our kingdom and not his. And in many ways, you and I are quite similar to the people in that crowd, aren't we? While maybe we didn't physically murder the author of life, we have in our hearts in many ways. Which means we're guilty too. Now, Peter's sermon doesn't end there, and that's good news. Uh, And neither should any Christian sermon end on that bad news. If we don't realize that we are guilty of sinning against God, we don't realize that we need a Savior. Uh, And the central message of the Christian faith is that there is hope for guilty sinners like you and me. There was hope even though for those who murdered Jesus that day. And Peter gives hope to those who killed the author of life and he gives it to us too. Peter's last point and ours too is where this hope is found. It's found in the man who healed the layman man because he offers healing to us too. We see in verses 17 through 26, where Peter opens with verse 17, and now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance as did all your rulers. Peter, in his mercy to them, goes, look, I know what you did was done in ignorance. Uh, You didn't realize what you were doing. You didn't really know that your decision to have Jesus crucified was actually killing the long-awaited one to restore all things. But... Does ignorance of the law excuse us of the law that we've broken? If I tell a CHP officer, sir, I didn't realize the speed drops from 65 to 55 here, does that change whether or not I broke the law? Well, of course not, right? Uh, And the same is true on a grander scale. Peter says, I know you did it uh, not knowingly, But in your ignorance, you participated in the promise of the Old Testament. The prophets that said that the Christ would come and he would suffer. And it has been fulfilled today. So now that you're made aware, he says, in verse 19, what should their response be? Repent. To repent is to turn back, right? It's to turn away from the way that we were going and to go another way. And he says, if you repent of your sin, there's going to be three positive outcomes. Okay, first, your sins will be blotted out. That kind of, that word that's used there, that word for blotting out. In Athens, Greece, when a citizen had been sentenced to be uh, uh, executed for a crime, his name was completely erased, completely blotted out from the registry for citizens. And they would use this word, this verb, to say it's gone, erased from history. It's this idea of complete removal, to leave no trace of existence. And that's what God says happens with our sins when we repent. We turn to God and our sins are wiped away as if they had never happened. There's no trace of our sins with the Lord. It blots out our sin, but it also, repentance brings us, verse 20 says, a time of refreshing. In the context of our verses, the time of refreshing is a lifting of the burden of sin, the relief from the knowledge that we were implicated in the execution of God's own Messiah, the Lord Jesus. In the time of refreshing, it's an age of salvation that has arrived with Jesus, the Messiah who bestows God's love and grace upon his people. The people can experience God's restoration power and refreshing power, not just in the future, but now, here, today, through repentance. It brings this immediate blotting out of sin, and it brings this immediate refreshment of being made right with God. Well, it does a third and a final thing when we repent. It brings us into the blessed family of God. Not only does repentance blot out sins and bring refreshing, it brings us into God's covenant family. Peter reminds them that the prophets had always predicted that Jesus would come, all the way back to Abraham, and God said to Abraham, through your offspring all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In other words, God's goal from the very beginning of creation has always been to have a restored people, to have a people right with God, to create a nation of his covenant children that are saved by faith in him and him alone. He began, of course, by going to the Jewish people, but the invitation of the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus spread to the world, to every tribe, tongue, and nation, so that everyone would know the very author of life himself. Repentance brings us into the great kingdom of God. Well, who all can come, right? Who, who is welcome into this kingdom? Is it this sort of exclusive guest list? You have to be a certain type of person or... Uh, come from maybe a certain family. Peter preaches to people who had just murdered God himself in flesh. And yet God extends grace and mercy to them. Uh, The apostle Paul helped murder Christians and God extends grace and mercy to him. David, the great king of Israel, was an adulterer and God extends grace and mercy to him. Abraham, the father of the faith, was a liar, conniver, and God extends grace and mercy to him. Peter, himself, who's preaching this very sermon, denies being associated with Jesus three times to a little girl, and God extends grace and mercy to him. All who cry out to God and trust in Christ by faith, who repent their sin, We'll have it all blotted out. We'll enter into a time of refreshing. Enjoy all of the benefits of being joined to the family of God. Well, the audience that day got a whole lot more than they bargained for, that's for sure. You know, they just wanted some idea how this guy was healed. Maybe wanted a neat story from him about what it was like. And what do they get? First, they get implicated in the death of the healer himself. But then they get offered the great hope of the healing of their souls. The offer Peter presents to the people in the audience that day is the same one he offers to you and to me today. The very one who healed that man was the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus, holy, righteous, the very author of life himself, God in flesh. And the reality is that we've all sinned against God. Uh, The solution It's not pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not, oh, it means I have to read my Bible more so God will be pleased with me. It's not, I need to go to church more so God will be pleased with me. It's not, I need to put more money in the offering so God will be pleased with me. The response is to repent, to confess our sin, and to trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for you. To receive refreshment in Christ to know that the healer hasn't done just part of it and you got to do your part, but the healer has done it all for you and for me. He blots out your sins, that he receives you into his family, that he welcomes you into a time of refreshing, not just in the future, but here and now to know his presence here on earth, to experience the inbreaking of heaven in a way that moves our hearts and souls to realize that we've met with God, that we're known and loved children of God. And if you're here this morning and you are a child of God and you've trusted in Christ, I, I think our, our text wants to remind us of two things. I'll conclude with this. First, we have to be a people who rejoice in his grace. Jesus remains our greatest need, the healer of our souls, and that never changes. We never move on from the gospel, do we? We never move on from needing continual healing and restoration and finding it in Christ alone. And I think the second thing uh, The second thing is that that we need to be a people who tell the world uh, that we don't take the light and hide it under a bushel. No, right? But, But we go forth in our community to share the greatest news ever, that there is healing to be found. There's healing to be found to experience the life given by Christ here and now, but healing to be found for all of eternity as well in God's presence. We know that, God. Uh, Let's introduce our friends and family and our neighbors and tell the world about Jesus, the servant of God, the holy and righteous one, the author of life. By faith, if you know him, let's pray for that for others. And like Peter, let's point every small miracle of life towards the author of life himself. Let's pray together. God, we thank you uh, for the great reality that we might know you, that you are not some distant and far off and sort of deistic God, but you have broken into earth in the person of Jesus Christ, that you have uh, conquered sin and death, and you give resurrection life and power, not just in the future, but today. I pray, Lord, uh, that you will continue to move us to be people drawn to your grace, mercy, and goodness. That we would see your work in all things. And so uh, continue to receive our praise as we um, worship you in song. Again, in Jesus' name, amen.